What does it even mean? Your pursuit of gut health is probably taking you down a rabbit hole of misinformation, useless concoctions, and false promises. So this is where this uncensored podcast comes in. The gastroenterologist and his daughter is the first of its kind, bringing a specialist gastroenterologist and his daughter, yours truly, to help you navigate the world of all things gut health from mouth to bum and everything in between. Join me, Sandra McHale, gut health specialist dietitian and founder of Nutrition A to Z, and my father, Wagdi McHale, specialist gastroenterologist and internist, as we unpack the most talked about topics in gut health, covering both the medical and lifestyle aspects of all things gut, with a ton of comedy and fecal tete-a-tete. Right, let's get into it. Okay, welcome to our first episode of The Gastro and His Daughter, where we will be covering all things gut health throughout the season. Now, I have been laughing my eyes out a few seconds ago, but we're just going to continue recording. In today's episode, we will kick things off with what actually is gut health. But first, you need to know who you're listening to. So, Dad, would you like to introduce yourself? No, you can. You start. <laughs> you yeah, start first. It, it's okay. It, no, it's all right. You can do it yourself because <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> all right. So... For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Sandro. I'm a gut health specialist dietitian based in Zurich, Switzerland, with my own practice here. So I have my clinic all set up, and I've been living in Switzerland now for close to 11 years. I also specialize in sports nutrition and eating disorders, but my heart lies in all things gut. Now, I'm actually trying to just to think about at what point did I decide to specialize in this area, but I believe it came from my own struggles with irritable bowel syndrome when I was 25 and also working in different, let's say, healthcare environments. So I mainly worked in clinical uh, settings, working in hospitals and different clinics and private practices. But I feel like working in the intensive care unit and hospitals with patients after some sort of gut surgery or with certain gut cancers really ignited that spark. And also being your daughter, dad, as a gastroenterologist. But (laughs) I noticed, so I noticed, and I'm sure you'll agree, but I noticed how powerful nutrition was as part of managing a lot of these conditions or even changing their course. So this is my little introduction. What is yours, father? My name is Wagim Kale. I'm Sandra's father. I graduated in 1972 from Alexandria University in Egypt. I worked about in Asia about two years, and the third year was in outside Alexandria in Bassoon General Hospital, which is country or small city. Uh, not far from Alexandria, it is, and it is the same city or the same village of Musalah. He comes from the same one. You know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. And, In fact. <laughs> yes, yes. But of course, uh, Musalah will not yet. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't born yet. Born, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the important thing in this year, I was, me and my three friends from Alexandria University came to this area and we had a very good experience in surgery under our two uh, consultant supervision, but we did a lot of surgery and I was interested in surgery for that. Dad, did you want to become a surgeon? 
Yes, this is always in my mind, but you don't know the fate if you believe in it. Because when I went to, uh, supposed to go to England for, I had a letter to Sir Magdiao from his professor, but I passed by Kuwait for, because my sister and husband were doctors there, so they told me to stay for a while. Instead of stayed a few weeks, I stayed a few years. So, and at that time I worked as uh, internal medicine, which internal medicine means looking after patients with diabetes, hypertension, heart problems. At that time, I worked with very excellent uh, consultant in cardiology, which I liked very much. Anyway, I stayed for three years and then I headed to England. But of course, the surgery was out of my career. So I continued with medicine and I did all the uh, exams for to work in England and I worked for about four, five, five years or something internal medicine as a gastroenterology, but not as a gastroenterologist. It was on the side. And even it was in my mind. Why, uh, why was gastroenterology now appealing to you? Yeah, when I left England and I came to Dubai in 1983, and I worked with a gastroenterologist there, which he, he was my mentor and uh, he let me love gastroenterology and he I've started training from 1983 to 1985 when you were born and it was hand-on training so I was intensive training in gastroenterology there was not a lot of gastroenterologists around in Dubai so I was one of the few and we built the gastroenterology unit in the biggest hospital at that time Rashid Hospital and I became a, yeah, a special gastroenterologist after a few years of course and I've been, um, have been, I worked in this hospital for 24 years and then went private as a special gastroenterologist. And that's, I'm, oh, I'm still there. Where are you there. based I'm now? So I was going to say, are you still, <laughs> you're still there? <laughs> okay. No, I'm still around. And But, you know, during the uh, working in Rashid Hotel, I was young and I was doing everything from diagnostic to therapeutic to bleeding and everything which is possible and emergency and like this. But now I work in a private hospital and another two two locations there. And it was okay. But now I'm not, you know, I'm relaxing now. Doing endoscopy, mostly diagnostic and therapeutic is if it is minor, but I don't take any calls. That's why. So that's your, that's your version that's of me. retirement. <laughs> is what? that your version of retirement? Taking what, it easy but still your, doing what you love. <laughs> Yeah, what, what's retirement is you do what you love. I'm traveling, I'm doing, uh, taking leave whenever I want, and then seeing patients and doing something positive. And I'm happy. And like you're, that. you're in Australia now. So for those who are unaware, my dad is based in Dubai, so that's in the United Arab Emirates, but he's traveling currently. So he is in Australia, yeah. in Melbourne. Uh, now I'm in Australia for a few weeks and then back to Dubai. Back and Dubai. by the way, I'm still doing with my WhatsApp, it's my uh, walking clinic. And one quick question. What sort of patients do you see now in your practice? Or in mainly, mainly people with digestive disease problem and it's not, not internal medicine. If it, but usually I refer patient if I see a patient with the uh, problem in the thyroid or heart problems, which diabetes not controlled. 
uh, all of this, I refer them to the so specialities, which is, yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, mainly but now, mainly focused because, on yes, gastroenterology so and maybe a few disease, examples. Yeah. Okay, so a few examples of the patients that you're seeing. So I'm assuming you see a lot of irritable bowel syndrome, which we'll be talking about next week. What yeah. other patients do you see? Inflammatory bowel as reflux, well? reflux esophagitis, inflammatory bowel disease, patient with celiac disease, and some some patients with the uh, liver problems. And I'm following patients with liver transplant. Yeah, sometimes they, they refer us to refer patients with gallbladder problems, but mainly I refer them back to the surgeon because if they need, if the gallbladder calculus or something, we are we have to refer to them surgery. Okay, and so, mainly adults. Mainly okay, adults. mainly. I was going to say, you don't see any pediatrics, you don't see any kids. I, you see pediatric patients for second opinion, but... Always I refer them to the pediatric gastroenterologist because they might need uh, endoscopy or, or follow-up and further investigations for pediatric. And a question for you, and this is maybe both of us can answer it. What does gut health mean to each of us? So maybe yes. your personal or professional opinion. What does gut health mean to you? But you, you stay first till I get it. Till I... <laughs> <laughs> what I, prepare, I think for me gut for health you, is a synchrony of all the major players that are part of your digestive tract so they need to all work well together yeah, so that's this all your is the organs <laughs> well you can <laughs> you can list all these major players but for me gut health also means not getting sick very frequently because as we all know that about 70 to 80% of your immune system lies in your gut. Um, So I do believe that gut health is central to our well-being. So to me, gut health is not only a synchrony from from all these major players, it's also a synchrony of everything that makes our gut feel as well. So my four pillars, as I call them, that's the nutrition, mind, movement, and sleep. We need a good synchrony of these that will have a positive impact on gut health. Which is a bit difficult as well. I agree, but uh, in this uh, world, with these circumstances coming in this year and the years before and the pandemic, some of the pillars are coming down a little bit and it's very difficult to achieve. Like sleep and and anxiety and these things, all of this, a bit more, we can see more of this now, which affects the gastrointestinal tract directly, mostly. Anyway. So anything so else does, for us? No, I'm, I'm done. You, you can, I'm passing the microphone to you. So what does gut health mean to you? Yeah, for, for me as a gastroenterologist, the healthy gut or gut health means normal and properly functioning of the digestive system. This includes gastrointestinal tract, the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, which is the colon, rectum, and anus. As well as, of course, the pancreas, liver, bile ducts, and whole blood. So they all so, have to be well functioning. Yeah, normal digestive system, which is difficult, of course. But if you have, so do you think it's impossible? Is it impossible to achieve? It is near to impossible. Health? But but if you if you feel like that you are working okay like this, so keep it and maintain it like 
we, we, we forget to maintain our health. You look after your car more than your health. So if you are having good digestive system, you have to keep it and maintain it and check yourself before getting ill. You can come to gastroenterologist if you are after, mainly after the age of 40 or something or, or before that, just without being ill. Which is sometimes impossible because I was just it's say very. It's impossible because some people won't like some gastroenterologists won't even see patients if there's no yeah, referral if they don't have a problem. Yeah, you know that the people with the, for example, irritable bowel syndrome, the gastroenterologists see the small amount of about maybe twenty-five of patients or something like this because all of them either they are not going to the doctors or all of them, they are uh, going to the GP or family doctor. That's And some of them, they are not referred in, in time, in proper time. If we come back to this, I know you told me it is impossible to have this without problem, you know, of the, okay. to keep your gut without symptoms for a long time or forever. It's impossible, almost impossible. That's why from the health point of view, gut health, so... If you have symptoms, you start go early to the doctor. But for this, I, I can divide the symptoms into categories. Okay. One, um, general symptoms like heartburn, epigastric pain, abdominal pain, diarrhea, constipation, something like this. In this, you either to see your GP or family doctor or to come to the gastroenterologist according to your system in your country. Or the other th- category is the red flags. In this, you must see a gastroenterologist as soon as possible. And what are the red flags? If, number one, rectal bleeding or black stool. Black stools means you are bleeding from the stomach or above. So it should be black, not dark or not green. The black stools, Because people, okay? let's say people on iron supplements will have, will have darker yeah. poo. Yeah, definitely. I have to to, to ask the patient, yeah, and if you have having anything of non-steroidal or iron, or sometimes the some food can color the food as well. If the beetroots yeah. can make yeah pull you a little bit reddish, so we, I, you have to ask the patient, of course, well, if he has got. Well, we usually with these people, if you got black stools or bleeding, rectal bleeding, uh, you'll feel like they are exhausted. They are having weakness and something like this. The other thing which is unexplained iron deficiency anemia, if you've got anemia. And usually I ask the female patients if they've got heavy periods because if they've got very heavy periods, it might cause iron deficiency anemia. It's very important to ask about this. Okay. Another one of the unimportant thing if patient is losing weight, unexplained, is not having... Uh, not trying to lose weight, basically. Yeah, not trying to lose weight. Yeah, that's right. So, our very important thing as well, the problem with swallowing. This is important as well. The other, if you feel, if you feel, must sometimes people feel. Told me there is a lump in the stomach. Not feeling lump, he can feel it by himself. So it's very important as well. Or vomiting blood. This is. This mainly These the, would be the, the red flags. flags. Yeah. And uh, 
So that's, that's when you have to see a gastroenterologist as soon as, yeah, as possible. As soon as possible, yes. Okay, this is I the mean, thing, which is the... And I remember, like, I was, as I was doing research as part of, like, for, for writing my book, I also looked at, you know, what causes our gut to become problematic. And two things that we have no control over are age. As we get older, issues do start to happen with our gut and genetics. Right? This is, so, like, I think... This, this is unavoidable if you're you are not... <laughs> uh, you cannot so. prevent it. <laughs> But the other, the other, on the other hand, there is something preventable. Some people they take antibiotics. Some people they take the smoke, the uh, excess alcohol. All of this. So these are the controllable factors you, to look yeah. after our diet. So, so you can, you can, all of this you can control it, and you can prevent problems of the gastrointestinal or gastrointestinal or digestive system. So that brings us to maybe my next question that we can also, or maybe more of a, the next topic that we can discuss is what would be our recipe for achieving a blissful gut? So what would you recommend, let's say as a gastroenterologist, would be the essential ingredients for a healthy, well-functioning gut? Okay. You want to well, start, how, how, shall I start? <laughs> but I think you start first because... Something which I'll say, maybe you you will say it first, so you Multiple can. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can comment on what you say, so it's, it will be easy right. for me. Okay, so I would say again, I probably mentioned. I, I find it easy to talk about these four pillars because it just helps people categorize things and try to, you know, focus on let's say one action or one change that they can do under every pillar. But for yeah. me, as I, as I mentioned, the the four pillars are nutrition, mind, movement, and sleep. And I know throughout the season, we're going to talk about yes. every pillar perhaps in a bit more detail. When it comes to nutrition, I would say the majority of our diet should be plant-centered if possible. If we come from a society that consumes a lot of animal products or a lot of, or not, not too much plants, then I would say the magic number is to aim for 30 plant ingredients per week. And I know you've probably asked me that question before, Dad, is it's probably, you know, how, how do we translate that into uh, practical easy, things, practical, because, exactly, practical you, ways? You know, so, some, of, some of the patients, when I tell him something or tell her something, to eat uh, 20 or 25 gram of fiber and... Uh, with water and this they told me what do you mean just give me give me a list and go with it so what do you think about that so that's exactly it if we had to translate what 30 grams of fiber mean to people or 25 grams of fiber it can be very confusing and this is why i like to take a different approach and focus on 30 plants per week so what that means is we're trying to focus on diversity so for example per week i want my clients to consume 10 to 15 different types of vegetables. I want them to consume three to four different types of fruits, three different types of legumes like beans, lentils, and chickpeas. So maybe one day they've had some hummus, one day they've had some lentils, the other day they've had some edamame. And then I want them to have two different types of nuts, three different types of seeds, a minimum of six different types of herbs and spices, and maybe four different types of cereals and grains. So it's really looking at it from a different angle and a different approach. And obviously all our clients get support in terms of 
how to achieve these 30 plants per week. So for me, again, if I had to go back to that nutrition pillar, if there's one thing I have to pick is just focus on diversity and focus that your diet would be plant-centered. But obviously that has to be done with the support of a dietitian or a registered nutritionist. The next pillar would be movement. And if there's one thing that I want people to take away from is to move at least 15 minutes every day. 15 minutes of daily movement as realistic and as possible. That's very important, but you know, some of the people, we, we, you know, I'm working in the Middle East in Dubai, and some people, they, they find it very difficult. They, sometimes they told me, I, I, I or she, she or he goes to the work by 8 o'clock and come 7.30 or 9 o'clock in the evening. They are exhausted and they are fed up and they are, don't have the mindset to do any exercise. Yeah, but that's the thing, Dad. I wouldn't look at it from exercise. And this is why you need to redefine what movement means. So it's not about, you shouldn't tell your clients or your patients, you need to exercise. I just want I, to I, move. I told them I want to move. At least anything he can... Anything even 10 minutes, even. I do this, but sometimes... <laughs> I know you do it every day. I, I know you do. Yeah, the mindset. We have the to reality the can culture. be very different. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it's very, very, very The reality is difficult and the culture is quite challenging. But uh, and that's you know, not as only well, in the Middle East, that's everywhere in the world as well. Yeah, I, there is some point as well, which I want to tell you about the diet. and the, You have very good plan for diet and everything. But, you know, in our area, there is no connection or integration between with the gastro and dietitian and psychologist, psychiatrist, this circle is not there. And it's very difficult to, I want to refer many patients to the dietitian. The insurance, they don't have cover this consultation. So yeah. some people, they want me to do it. It's a bit of a challenge as well to, for the yeah. diet and for the control of diet and even diabetics. They don't go regularly to the dietitians. We're trying our best, but sometimes it doesn't work. Move, and this is what I would say if I had to focus on the movement pillar, I, I do believe that 15 minutes, even as a start, is quite possible. And you mentioned again that, I mean, as part of your circle, like the important people that have to be part of your team would be a gastroenterologist, yeah. a dietitian, and even a psychologist or a therapist. And this is where the mind pillar comes in. I know Next week, when we talk about IBS, we're definitely going to talk about the gut-brain axis. But people underestimate the power of the mind and how it can impact our gut health and impact just our overall well-being. So this is why when it comes to the mind pillar, I would say we need to pick a practice that we can be consistent with and not to be ashamed of seeking therapy or support if we need it. There's enough evidence to show how you know chronic stress or anxiety impact our gut health. I mean, we do see that with IBS. But it can also impact the the health of our inner ecosystem, like and that's our gut microbiome or gut microbiota. So we've got nutrition, we've got mind, we've got movement, and finally sleep. Sleep is another thing that we underestimate in terms of how it impacts our gut health. So I would ask clients: it's not only about the number of hours, but it's also the quality of their sleep and the sleep hygiene. It's what do you do that one hour before bed? It's a problem as well. They, they watch televisions. 
Exactly. No, but screen time. The issue is that it's not only TV, but it's everyone is connected to their phones. Now, don't let me don't let me put you on the spotlight because you're also on your phone a lot. But perhaps I'm not, not in the not <laughs> you know. I'm only on the phone mostly because I'm on WhatsApp Consulting your patients. receiving receiving patients. Yeah, Consul- yeah. they are they are sending me, so I have to answer. That's mainly I don't have. Instagram page. I don't have <laughs> the Facebook. I don't write on it anything. I just just see it. But I'm not very uh, media active. Let's say or me like social on yes. social media. You're not very no, not media. not very active. No, no. So these so, would be let's say my as a dietitian. These would be my four pillars and what I would say a quick recap. You know, one action that a person can take or one of our listeners can take to sort of implement. What would be your essential ingredients as a gastroenterologist to do or I not to do for a healthy gut? That's the important thing. For example, from the diet point of view, we will maybe we'll talk about it later. The, the fiber is very important, and Absolutely. the amount of fiber you will talk about it later. Maybe when uh, we talk about irritable bowel syndrome. But when we talk to the fiber, we have to talk about the water or the fluids, because I've read some of the uh, doctors, his name is Dr. Michael Don. He he said about the explaining to the fiber and the water by the dough. You know the dough the to do the uh, cakes and these things? Yeah, with, yeah. With the, yeah. So he said if you put a lot of water and little dough and little uh, flour, will get very runny. You will not use it. And on the other hand, if you put a lot of flour wow. with little water, you get very hard. This is what happened. The colon takes the water out. So if the... You mean the fiber takes give, the water out. The fiber yeah. absorbs a lot of water. Yeah. So it will, it will give very hard stools and that's it. So you have to, to compromise. You don't eat a lot of fiber and little water. You have to compromise and do the right thing. And you can talk about it later for this one yeah. as well. The other point is general advice for patients. It's not only for a patient with reflux phagitis, but for every patient, don't eat and lie down straight away because this will, will the digestion will be not be right and you have bloating, you have reflux more, all this. So you have to have a gap at least three hours between between eating and lying flat. Very important thing as well, you don't ignore or postpone your call on call. If you want to go, you have to go. And some people, they said, no, I I can't go at the office or I can't go outside. Yeah. So they they hold it. And when you go home, they don't do it. And this as well, it's very important to watch the children. These days, the children play with the iPad or whatever, and they want to go to the to pool, but they are playing, so they want to finish the game. And so this is this is causes the constipation, bloating. It's very important. And but if you want to have regular bowel movement, you have to train yourself before going. As soon as you wake up, before going to the office, of course you have to have the the, the proper diet, and as we will talk about it later. Mm-hmm. To train yourself before going to the office, go every day in the morning. And later on, by training, you will get there. 
And what, as a gastroenterologist, what are your biggest no-nos? So like if there are two things or three things that you want people not to do to compromise their gut, what would they be? Cigarettes, smoking, excess alcohol. Because cigarette smoking, uh, I told you about, there's one personal experience with smoking. You know that I used to smoke when I was young? You know that? Yeah, Dan. And you know that I yeah. used to smoke as well. But you didn't tell me unless I'm late. <laughs> Maybe after I quit. Yeah. So I did smoke for 10 years. Because I, I didn't expect you to smoke anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Your brother doesn't smoke till now. Isn't he? I know that. Yeah. And he does drink as well. Well, anyway. he does drink when he's on vacation. When he's on but leave anyway. only. All right. Yeah, yeah. But go, <laughs> going okay. back to... Smoking. smoking yeah uh you, you know i was uh, in 19 uh, i stopped smoking in 1983 before getting married and in 1995 or something i got severe attack of bronchial asthma which i didn't have before so thanks god because i i was not smoking at that time that's why my chest was okay so when i got the asthmatic attack I passed it anyway, so it will be okay. So smoking with the gut, it altered the gut microbiota and caused the dysbiosis. Dysbiosis, you can explain dysbiosis later. You know, in, like an, it's an imbalance, basically, of your good and bad microbes. And that's keeping yes, it very sorry. simple, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. With well, this heart burn, it causes uh, peptic ulcer, increases reflux, arthritis, and causes the... There is a valve between the esophagus and the stomach, which yes, which we call it LES, which is lower esophageal sphincter, sphincter, which it prevents the the food to come up to the esophagus and the acid come. This is closed when you when you the stomach is trying to uh, after eating. Mm -hmm. So when you smoke, the nicotine make these legs make it. Uh, it relaxes, I think. Relax, yeah. So it, it will cause the problem, yeah. Also, the smoking promotes intestinal inflammation. And it is associated with the uh, some inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease. And people with Crohn's disease, we insist that they don't smoke if they are not, if they are, if you don't, if they are not smoking and stop smoking if they are. Yes, I know it is hard to, to quit smoking, but you have to try hard as well. Okay, so that would be smoking. So stop if you're smoking. Don't start if you, if you haven't. Yeah, that's, that's very good. What is your thought on antibiotics? I really wanted to talk about antibiotics because I feel like people tend to use antibiotics or are prescribed antibiotics unnecessarily. There is some doctors do this. And the other point is... In some areas, in some countries, you can get the antibiotic over the counter. So people who get fever, they take antibiotic. Even they give the children antibiotic without any prescription, solid, basically. Or even without solid uh, evidence reason. that is infection. Yeah. If antibiotic for infection. So you have to have an infection and bacterial infection. If you don't have it, you don't take antibiotic. Even patient with diarrhea, if you if the diarrhea is not too much, just observe yourself. Take anti-diarrheal diet. Even you can try a probiotic, but don't 
take antibiotic unless you see the doctor, unless the doctor prescribe it, unless you do some test, some very few blood tests and stool tests will give you the results quickly and you can take antibiotic because it you will create resistance in your body because if you if you need an antibiotic and sometimes you, a lot of them they are not uh, active anymore in your near near body that's why that's, we are that's very the careful. consequence of overusing yeah. antibiotics that's right yes and excess alcohol as well of course you know alcohol will affect the liver and a lot of things which alcohol if if people enjoy alcohol you have to have a limit but don't overdo it because there is sometimes there is no if your liver got cirrhotic which means it is stiff liver or it's very difficult to come back so that cirrhotic means perhaps it's quite damaged uh, yeah damaged liver or stiff liver or some non-functioning liver later on so it's your liver is, is the uh, factory of your body. It is very sophisticated organ, one of the, the biggest organs. So don't destroy it. Okay. So this is the main thing for healthy gut. I'm trying to think how about, okay, maybe one final thing. And maybe this is probably just recapping. So you mentioned screening. So seeing your doctor and, and screening, let's say, for things like colon cancer if you're over the age of 40, yes. not overusing antibiotics, not smoking. For screening, yeah. For screening, is very important for especially colon cancer. And screening now, it is in some areas, we come down to 40, 45 or 40, starting the screening. And in some areas, the screening is not, covered by the insurance. So we have to convince the insurance. We have to do something for this. If you have a, a family history of cancer colon, it is a must to do colonoscopy. Well, there is some sort of screening with the stool analysis, but the main, the cornerstone of this is colonoscopy. This is my personal point of view. This colonoscopy is... Yeah, is the golden standard for screening. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. for screening colon cancer. Yes. The other thing, which is a lot of disease, which they are silent, like even liver cirrhosis or liver problems, they are silent. And either if you're not screening about this, you will get patient can present with the complications of liver problems. So screening is very important. In some countries, Asian countries, cancer stomach is common. Yeah. Okay. So that's... So... Yeah, gastric is, is uh, so they do screening for in Japan or something like by, by Apergia and dusk because if we get the diagnosed early stage, which is not a f- going to the wall of the stomach or the wall of the colon, it's almost curable. So, so why don't do this? Okay. If only the insurance companies weren't as much of a pain <laughs> in the bum, yeah, no pun we, intended. We, yeah, yeah, it's very difficult sometimes to <laughs> convince them with something very important to the patients. But we're trying our best here. Okay, so any final words to our listeners that before we let them go? I mean, today was mainly introduction just to, to hopefully have them stick around for further episodes. Well, the most important thing is to look after yourself. Live healthy. If you smoke, try to stop. 
if you don't smoke, don't smoke, don't start. Eat healthy, sleep healthy. What else from your side? I think you've covered it. And look after your mental health. Right. So thank you very much for joining us today. I hope we gave you a snapshot of what we do and who you are. And make sure you join us next week because we are going to talk about all things irritable bowel syndrome and how to crack the IVS code, given that April is IVS Awareness Month. Have a good one. Thank Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Gastro and His Daughter podcast. Don't forget to join us again. And if you've been enjoying our chats, make sure you subscribe, follow or leave a review on your chosen platform.